postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane.
Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's birth story is with Anne-Marie Shoemaker. This story is epic no matter how you approach it. Anne-Marie's fertility process was a long road involving surgery, multiple rounds of IUIs, and a devastating miscarriage. The birth itself included persistent back labor, stalling for hours at 8 centimeters, and a long pushing stage. And yet... Holding her miracle baby released all her previous feelings of brokenness and fear. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast. Talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, hello, many parents and parents-to-be. Thank you, as always, for all the love you give the show. And if what you hear is helpful, make sure you subscribe. It's free, and that way you won't miss a thing. So my guest today is Anne-Marie Shoemaker, and her pregnancy journey began with quite the rocky fertility journey. And I wanted to give you a warning that this includes a miscarriage, so she is going to be talking about that. Also, Anne-Marie's faith played a large role in getting her through all of this, and so it is a theme that comes up throughout the show. We all experience and practice spirituality a little bit differently, so I hope that whatever your beliefs, you can still appreciate and listen to the story. And if by chance the word God is not your cup of tea, then feel free to mentally substitute it for whatever word better resonates with you. All right, here we go. Anne-Marie, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for wanting to share your story. And before we get into it, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, so I am uh, now a mom and a wife, and I live in Winston-Salem, North Carolina with my husband and my son, and um, big lover of travel, absolutely love to travel. My family is very international. My parents um, were immigrants to the United States. So I have family all over the world. And where did they uh, come from? Yeah. So I'll, I'll sum, summarize that very shortly that they uh, came from Argentina by um, Europe. <laughs> so they started off in Europe and then during World War II, both sides ended up in Argentina. And then my parents ended up here. So <laughs> we have family all over the place. Mm-hmm. Have you been to Argentina? I have a couple of times and absolutely beautiful. Of course, the time that I went was summer here, winter there. So it was a little cold and dreary on some days, but it was a lot of fun. Right, right. Yeah, that's one of the, I've been to many countries in South America and Latin America, but that's one that I've never gotten to. So, Oh, really? Yeah, well, I know. Make a point. Yeah, it's, it's really, really beautiful. It's cool. a great place to go. I hear that. Yeah. Um, and so you are a mom, and how old is your kid right now? Oh, yeah, my son Harrison is uh, 15 weeks today, so three and a half months, and he is just amazing. We love him so much. Oh, you're just stepping out of that fourth trimester. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and uh, sleep deprivation is starting to wane a little bit now. Thankfully, it's getting a little bit better. Oh, excellent. So let's take you back to way more than two years ago um, when your journey towards becoming a mom started. Tell me what was going on. Yeah. So it was December of 2015 um, that I stopped taking the pill. That was kind of my, all right, we're going to 
start on this journey <laughs> to try to see if we can have a baby. And my husband and I got married in September of 2013. So we've been married for a couple of years and thought, all right, let's just go ahead and see what happens. Um, not really trying, so to speak, just stop taking the pill. We, we started doing more serious trying, um, probably mid to late 2016, where it's like, okay, nothing has happened yet. Let's do more ovulation testing and see if we can time this better. Still in early 2017, no baby. Told my gynecologist at that time, whenever I just went in for my checkup, uh, that, you know, I was a little concerned that it had been a while and, and we still hadn't gotten pregnant. And I knew the average was a year and here we were over a year and still really no baby. And at that time, that gynecologist essentially said, the average is two years. And she said, my philosophy is to wait at least two years as that is the average uh, before doing any kind of testing whatsoever. And it just didn't sit well with me. Uh, I felt like I was being very transparent about how I, I was concerned that nothing was moving forward and that we had waited over a year and everything else said, you know, after a year, you really should talk to a doctor. And it felt dismissive in my opinion. Um, so I pushed and she agreed to only really do a thyroid test. And of course that came back normal. Uh, and after chatting with my husband, still no baby come October of 2017. So almost two years at that point, since I'd been off the pill, I said, I just don't think that she's the right provider for me. Um, I, I, there was just that women's intuition. I don't know how else to describe it other than that of, I think something is wrong and nobody had ever said that. I didn't really have any outward signs that something was wrong. It was just that innate, I, I don't think this is going to be easy for us. And so my husband and I agreed that, you know what, let's, let's go ahead and dig deeper. And I switched practices completely to another practice that has an infertility specialist. She's an OBGYN, but she specializes in infertility. So November of 2017, I remember that first appointment where I just felt like she heard me. I, there's, I've heard a lot, you know, on this, on this podcast, even of other people saying how important it is to have a voice to feel like you're being listened to, that somebody gets it and, and doesn't dismiss you. And that was her. She, she sat down with us, I think for an hour that day and walked us through her game plan of, of trying to investigate what was going on the blood test that she recommended. She recommended we go ahead and even start that day. From that testing, we figured out that I was uh, likely someone who had endometriosis, which I'd never considered because I didn't feel like I had a ton of outward signs. <laughs> but it turns out that I did. She recommended at that point because of the blood test that to confirm endometriosis that I, she actually recommended surgery. And it, it was that shock to the system, right? Of, oh my gosh, you know, we just started this process like two weeks ago and now I'm going in for surgery. Well, she wasn't uh, wasting any time, right? She was not. <laughs> she took me very seriously. She wasted no time. So literally December of 2017, I went in for, went um, under general anesthesia and did a laparoscopic surgery and 
they confirmed I, I have endometriosis and I had endometrium all over the place. <laughs> uh, it wasn't super severe, but it was just, it's just enough that even this little bit of endometrium, little specks of it in different places can cause problems for women to get pregnant. Um, so they had to clean it all out. They literally cauterize, uh, they cut it off and cauterize the wounds of where the endometrium is that where it should be. And then you recover for you know, a couple of weeks and essentially can start trying. And one thing that she had told us before we even went into the surgery that one, with someone who has endometriosis, the best opportunity to get pregnant is within six months of the surgery. And it's because anyone who has it, the endometrium will continue to grow back where it shouldn't be throughout until menopause, essentially, unless you're pregnant or breastfeeding. Um, so she recommended that if we had a couple of rounds of trying naturally, which was our best bet, she thought at that point that if that didn't work, that we should really more aggressively pursue pregnancy. So we did two rounds of just trying to get pregnant on our own. Didn't work. So at that point, we tried doing Clomid and the Clomid alone did not work. Next round, we did Clomid and went ahead and jumped in and did intrauterine insemination. Didn't work. And finally, in April of late April of 2018, we did um, Clomid with a trigger shot so that it times the IUI procedure where you ovulate the same day, the same time, essentially, that you go in and do the IUI. And that took, and I remember getting that positive pregnancy test and it brings tears to my eyes now, just, just the f being floored of, I can't believe that this is finally real. Just finally seeing those two pink lines and utterly thrilled. Um, we were ecstatic, utterly ecstatic. I can yeah. imagine, like, already you've been at this nearly two and a half years and all these rounds and that, I'm sure that six month deadline was yeah. kind of in your head and looming, it, right? And then <laughs> yeah. boom, it happened. Ah, oh, that's so exciting. It was. It Let's was take a quick break. We'll be right back. In our house, we are big on hydrating. Aside from all the important health benefits, I find that if I'm not well hydrated, I get these brutal headaches. So it's really important for me to hydrate. However, I do not like the taste of tap water and I cannot bring myself to buy bottled water because of all the plastic waste. So for years, we did pitcher filters, but then we switched to AquaTrue water purifiers. And after tasting the deliciousness of their truly clean water, we are never going back. What makes AquaTrue so unique is that they use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. This process removes 15% more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, also known as forever chemicals, that are found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. 
You can also forget about having to change filters every two to three months because AquaTrue filters last from six months to two years. Now, if plastic bottles are your thing, just one set of filters from AquaTrue's classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. Today, my listeners receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U dot com and enter the code BIRTHFUL at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code B-I-R-T-H-F-U-L. And we're back talking with Anne-Marie about her pregnancy journey so far, (laughs) right? Um, Right. And you are just right, you know, you're in a fantastic space that after so much effort and wishes and hopes you're pregnant yeah 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 and then we went in so this doctor does a seven-week ultrasound um just to confirm everything looks good especially for her um infertility patients and so we went in for the seven-week ultrasound and um it was a a devastating day um we found out in that ultrasound that we had lost our first child to a miscarriage and um a lot of grieving as you can imagine just the i I think anyone who goes through a miscarriage just has that experience of um what did i do um what did i do wrong and could i have done something different Uh, i had to uh, have a dnc uh, a week later and that was that was difficult on me. Um, that whole week was was a really hard process for me. But it was that morning that really probably the day before that I realized that that was the last twenty four hours I was going to get to have even holding my baby in me um, the closest physically I would ever be to that child ever again was in that last 24 hour period. And my DNC was scheduled for June 7th. And that's important, that date, for a reason, I'll get to that. Um, So we had the DNC and I um, needed some time, obviously, to grieve. And it was a while later that my husband really was my encourager in you know what, we need to, let's try to get back on the bandwagon, not to dismiss that child um, that we believe was our first child, 100%, but just that we we wanted to be parents, and we knew, unfortunately, that our window was closing <laughs> to mm. try to have a baby um, without maybe having to do surgery all over again. So it was a really difficult thing for me yeah. um, to get to get, think through all of that process of, I still felt like I was grieving my child and right. then also having to jump in again. And it was just a lot. <laughs> what, so much. And I am so sorry yeah. for your experience and the loss of that child. What were within that grieving process? Because I think miscarriage is something we don't talk very much about. Right. 
Um, what were things that were helpful, if anything, yeah. and what, you know, to, how did you give yourself some time to grieve and, and, and maybe anything to memorialize this child? Yeah. Thank you for asking that. Yeah. Um, okay. A couple of things. One, my, my faith is huge for me, um, and my husband and, I remember my husband and I, this was, this was a big evening for me. Um, we went for a walk probably a month or probably a month after my DNC. And I just broke down in tears <laughs> on that walk that evening and just said that I felt like I was broken, that I couldn't get pregnant on my own and that I lost that baby. What if I, what if it was the caffeine? What if it, you know, whatever it was, like, what if I shouldn't have gone on that bike ride through the woods that, you know, maybe it was too much jostling and my husband just stopped me and there was this beautiful sunset. And he said, I need you to look at the sky and realize that the God of the universe who painted that sky has our future in his hands. And it's a good, beautiful, bright future, just like that sunset. And this is not your fault. And, and that was huge for me, um, just to have to hear my husband tell me that. Still feeling that I was not um, whole, I guess, still feeling broken in some way, but just knowing that he didn't view it that way. And I did read a book um, that was so encouraging for me if anybody else um, would want to maybe read that too and it's called as far as the curse is found um, also for somebody that went through infertility miscarriage and, and she did interviews with people who also had stillbirths and it was just so good for me to go through that that uh, book but to memorialize our baby we also planted um, my husband's idea as well um, a rose bush in front of our house and I love that every um, May now <laughs> it blooms, which is right whenever I was still um, carrying that first child. And now I, I, even with my son, we get to walk around and see that rose bush. And I've told my son on our walks outside that that's for my son's older sibling. Um, and I just, I love that, that, that he had that idea. And I also have a necklace that my husband uh, encouraged me to get that I still wear. That's a little nest with a little egg. And I love that symbolism to me of um, an egg that never hatched, that I still carry with me. Yeah. And they're so important. Um, yeah. And I think the fact that your husband reminded you and believed and, and told you that it wasn't your fault, like those right. are powerful words. And then he gave yes. you hope. Yes, exactly. Exactly. My husband is has been my, my rock. <laughs> And then the funny side of grief, <laughs> which I have actually different people I've talked to about miscarriage. They've a lot of people have done this before, where you sometimes make um, maybe unwise decisions <laughs> during that phase. I have a friend of mine who um, bought all new furniture for her entire house, which she now regrets. We booked a trip uh, and decided we were going to pull the trigger on a trip to Ireland to celebrate what would be our five-year wedding anniversary in September. And my husband said in late August that, you know, what if we go ahead and try um, this round in September before our trip? 
happens. And then if it doesn't work, you know, we have a we have this beautiful two week trip in Ireland to take our minds off of it. And we celebrate our five year wedding anniversary. And then then we can figure out if we want to try again whenever we get back. And I said, okay, let's do it. And that doesn't (laughs) sound like an unwise decision, Amory. I'm still trying to figure out what was the unwise part of it. (laughs) I guess pulling the trigger out. It was very, I guess, uh, spontaneous. Gotcha. And I am not a a not often a spontaneous person. I'm very Type A. Um, So the the spontaneity of that, but it actually probably yes, it ended up being a very wise decision to pull that trigger. So we we booked. Uh, the tickets for the what was supposed to be the 15th of September, which was our five-year anniversary date. And the way things fell was to do another round of IUI, same thing, Clomid, IU, uh, trigger shot, IUI, on the 14th of September. Then a hurricane hit North Carolina and uh, messed up our travel plans a little bit, and we ended up having to move our flight to the same day as the IUI. <laughs> talk about a crazy day. Um, we got up, I guess, at six in the morning, did the IUI. And I thought, there's no way this is going to work. Uh, I thought, you know what, I'm going to enjoy this trip. Um, I remember about a weekend, I told my husband, we were on this beautiful country drive that I felt like the dark cloud of grief that I had been carrying with me everywhere had seemed to have, have lifted on that trip. Just being in nature and seeing gorgeous countrysides and cliff sides and ocean, it was phenomenal. And I, I felt like I could breathe again for the first time. It was at the end of that trip, our last full day, I took that pregnancy test, really not thinking it could have worked. Um, and it was positive. And that's when it was a very different experience. The first time I got a positive test with our first child, it was utter elation. This time, as excited as I was, the overwhelming emotion was fear. And that I was going to lose this child too. And I don't think I fully anticipated that, but that's, that's what it was. And those feelings of my body can't do this came flooding back that we got back and we had our seven week ultrasound and there was a healthy thriving baby. <laughs> it, which was amazing. It was so amazing to see. Um, but we realized at that time that that child's due date was June 7th, mm. which was the same day that I had the DNC. And the last day I held my first child within my body. And, and I could just see how that date didn't have to be filled with grief. That in and of itself to me was just, I felt like God was giving me this gift of I'm here with you and I'm going to walk this with you through to your due date. Um, it was, it was a really, really amazing thing for me. Did that sign help lift the fear and the worry that this wasn't going to happen? You know, (laughs) I wish I could say it fully did. (laughs) Um, No, it was more, it gave me um, comfort in that my God cared about me. 
enough to walk it with me, no matter what. Um, that he, he cares enough to care about the dates, the details in my life, that he, no matter what would happen, I was not alone. And yeah. Did you happen to listen to the episodes with Parajat Despende? Cause she's a high risk fertility expert, a yeah. high risk pregnancy expert, sorry, who has gone through yeah. incredible IVF journeys herself and, um, and and so she's all about like I love I'm gonna put on the show links, yeah. um, link uh, show notes links to her episodes and she also has a book called Pregnancy Brain and it's all about <laughs> that like the intense that you saw these two lines of your baby of being of being pregnant and your overwhelming feeling was oh, my body can't do this yeah. And, and having to deal with that stress and the anxiety yes. of pregnancy because you're in such a vulnerable space. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I did listen to that episode. And it, I remember thinking she was spot on. <laughs> there is there's not a way to separate um, joy with fear and grief that there was another episode that I'm blanking on who it was um, that you had a guest that she said that you could experience grief and joy simultaneously that it is possible <laughs> yes. to have both <laughs> we are complex human beings yes, we do we and are. not or yes absolutely yes. Uh, yeah and I feel like I had probably that whole first trimester, it was the mixture of terror, fear, um, utter elation, joy, love for this baby, love for my first child, grief over my first, it was all there. All of it was there. And um, I, I spent my entire first trimester just trying to focus on getting through the first trimester, <laughs> just the emotions of the first trimester. I didn't, I didn't plan for a labor. I didn't plan, like, unlike my first pregnancy, where it was like, I got pregnant, and I immediately was thinking about the birth. And I went immediately to the end. With this pregnancy, I was just very focused on the here and now. And loving every moment of carrying that child in my body. And just trying to to soak it up and and love every second. Mm, that sounds like a great advice, though, in general yeah. for, all, for all the moments <laughs> in life. Let's take another quick break, um, and when we come back, let's jump into the into this yes, labor. Labor, yeah. yeah. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids, and then when you want to share them, it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to, and then also remembering that, say, Aunt Helen only does email, so you need to send her image separately. Or like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. Basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without 
third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. So, to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. And we are back talking to Anne-Marie about her, well, now we're in your pregnancy journey. You've just, you survived the first trimester. Yes. Being mindful about every moment of it. Um. And was there anything eventful for second trimester? Uh, no, <laughs> we just had wonderful uh, eighteen-week ultrasound. Found out we were having a boy. I was right; my husband was wrong. He gets girl, uh, and uh, we're at that. I was at that point really in full swing of, you know what? Let's let's start planning for this birth and. Um, it was then that I decided as much as I loved my doctor, the, my infertility doctor, I was at a practice that had 10 um, physicians. And I knew that as much as I loved my doctor, there was a one in 10 chance that I was going to get that doctor on my labor day. And I wasn't a huge fan of uh, a couple of the other doctors that I was going through a rotation with to meet them. Um, I just felt like they weren't, they were okay with me wanting a natural labor and delivery, but weren't, um, fully supportive. They were, they were an invested <laughs> into the natural labor and delivery. I was more being a little bit tolerated in that versus fully supported. Oh, and, and that's such a huge distinction of finding a provider yes. that is supportive and not just tolerant. And I hear that yes. a lot with like VBACs is a good example. But yeah, with yeah. just any, whatever your wishes are. Yes. yes. Finding the right good ma- the, the right match. It's huge. And I, and kind of going back to that feeling a bit broken, really broken, um, that my body couldn't do, couldn't get pregnant on its own, couldn't carry my first child. Um, I, I felt very strongly that I really wanted to do labor on my own. (laughs) I I wanted to see what my body could do and allow it to do this, this one thing, this one thing of giving birth (laughs) without needing to have interventions. I really wanted that. Um. So I made the hard decision to switch. I was 20 weeks pregnant, so halfway through my pregnancy at this point, and made the decision to switch to another practice that actually was 30 minutes away, but they were highly recommended to me, and it's midwives. Uh, Three midwives there at this practice, and I met with the head midwife there before even switching and just kind of shared and kind of did an interview process. You have a, a great 
podcast, and I'm forgetting who it was with, um, but it was about choosing the right provider and kind of questions to ask about them um, whenever you go into a provider. Yeah. To, yeah. And it, Robin, was, it's, it was Robin Elise Weiss, and I'll link it yes. in the show notes too. Yeah. Perfect. Oh. Yeah. And um, spot on, right? So to, to go in and find the right provider. She was phenomenal. Just answered all my questions exactly. <laughs> I didn't even have to ask, ask all the questions that I had on my list that day. And yes, I had a list because uh, I'm that person. Um, but she, I gotta she tell you though, as a doula, I love when people come in with lists. I love the list because yeah. it means you you're invested and you've done your homework and you have yeah. things that you know need to needs that need to be met. So yes. it's a yeah. way of finding that we are a good fit. Yes, exactly. So. And she was able to ask, answer most of my questions without me, me even asking. She just volunteered them, and uh, so everything was checked off the list. And I switched over to them. Had a phenomenal pregnancy, really, no no issues. Um, there was a slight risk, really, really light early on um, where my baby was breached for a little while, but flipped. Um, spinning babies was huge for me, so I did, especially when I found out my baby was breached. I'm like, okay, we are doing all the inversions. We are doing the whole nine. Let's get this baby in the right position. Um, I did a lot of yoga and water aerobics, uh, which which I was literally like the youngest person in the water aerobics pool, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, great. funny thing, funny stories. I did the same thing and it was the it. best feeling because the oh, buoyancy so that the water provides and you're yes. like moving your whole body. Yeah. I loved it. <laughs> it was great. And, and also all the, older ladies that were part of that uh, water aerobics class they were so much fun and they of course gave you uh, words of wisdom and it was great um so flash forward to labor day uh, so baby's coming everything's been going great i have been i did have um, a group of doulas so um i decided to go with a doula practice that has four doulas um and got to know um, th the three that I guess would be the most likely ones that would be on call during that my around my due date and got to know them throughout my pregnancy. I, I hired them pretty early in my pregnancy so that um, I could really starting second trimester so that I could get to know them well and feel really comfortable with them, which I think is really big. Um, and when that there was a shift, it was June 3rd and that morning, I had been having already for really my whole third trimester, had been having Braxton Hicks contractions, um, but something was different that day. I, I feel like I woke up that morning and I wasn't in pain, but the contractions just seemed different. Um, maybe a little bit more uncomfortable, a little bit more like menstrual cramping. Um, and so I texted my doulas and I was like, yeah, this is what's, what's going on. And I'm not sure what's going on. I, I am having some brown, I'm going to be blunt, uh, but I think most, I appreciate it. Whenever women are blunt on here, so I'll be blunt. I was having some brownish discharge that morning, which I hadn't had before. And, and they said, well, yeah, it's, it could be early labor. You could stay that way for a few days. <laughs> Cause I, at this point is, you know, I wasn't due until the seventh. So very close, but wasn't sure if that was going to be the day or not. So I, I literally worked all day. <laughs> it was a Monday and I worked the whole day. Um, kind of got through it. And I do feel like my body was kind of purging. I, I used the bathroom multiple times. 
times that day and thought, and I know from doing my research that that maybe was another sign that labor could be coming on. And then around five o'clock, I went for a two and a half mile walk. And it was at that point that my contractions picked up. And at 6.30 that day is when I was actually driving the car, my husband and I went to go get some, pick up some takeout. And I was driving, I was in the parking lot, pulling in and a contraction hit that hurt. And I stopped the car and I said, you're gonna need to drive home. <laughs> and, uh, so that's essentially where I'd say my labor kind of started was that first painful contraction. Even though I had been, I knew I was in labor, early labor throughout the day, it wasn't really painful until that point. Um, texted with my doulas at 9.15 that my contractions were like about 10 minutes apart. They told me, you know, just try to relax, try to get some sleep because it was in the evening. Um, I tried to as best that I could, um, got a shower, uh, shaved my legs, <laughs> the important things in life. <laughs> I didn't know when the next time would be that I would get to do that. So I did that, uh, was in the tub for a while, but my contractions were really starting to hurt. Mm. Um, and I texted with my doula, um, the one that at that point it was like, okay, she's in labor. And I, so my, my doula Christian was the one that was going to be with me through my labor. And she, I let her know at that point that my pain at one thirty AM was severe. And my contractions had actually, I felt like they had slowed down a little bit. They, they were still like about seven, eight minutes apart. Um, but the intensity of those contractions had picked up. And I actually have a quote from one of those texts. I said, I'm having severe back pain at this point with my contractions. And the pain remains while waiting for the next one. I'm averaging five minutes, 47, 40 seconds between contractions. I've been averaging that for the last hour. And she told me later that it was really that text that she knew this is going to be a back labor mama. And, and as a back labor mama myself, yeah. oh, I can relate to that. Because that, that situation where the back labor stays yeah. with or without contractions, that is a special kind of back labor help. Because yeah. it doesn't happen, like, you could, more often than not, you get back labor, but it still subsides in between contractions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, like, yeah, congratulations. It's a more I rare know. type of back labor. <laughs> uh, it is I've brutal. Oh, it's brutal. It's yeah, and, and the tricky thing, too, at that point, because they, you know, were telling me try to rest as much as I could. There was no resting happening. I because there was no relaxing between contractions. And did any I also, of them suggest doing like position changes, trying to yes. get baby to move? Yeah. Did, what, yeah. What, what were suggestions? Um, yoga ball movements, um, trying to kind of on the bed, lean forward. A lot of it too was they were very encouraging of whatever intuitively felt right to go with it. Um, and, and one of the biggest things for me is anytime I tried to lay down on my side or on my back or any, any type of down position <laughs> was excruciating. I had to stay upright the entire time. And I, I think that was the, one of the hardest parts of labor for me. Uh, well, in addition to the <laughs> ex 
excruciating back pain uh, was the fact that I, I couldn't not be up. I had to be up um, or it made everything worse. So um, I, I don't remember a whole lot of, I'll just be frank, I don't remember a whole lot of what position changes my doula had me do once we got to the hospital, but she had me moving in different positions. Um, it, I think I was in full pain labor land that I, I, they just moved me and I just did whatever they told me to do mm -hmm. <laughs> to make it work. Um, I called my midwife at 3.45 in the morning and my doula did ask, you know, do you need me to come to you? And that was probably around three. And I said, I think at this point, we're getting close to me needing to go to the hospital. I think I'm doing okay. Let's just plan to have you meet me there whenever I, I am ready to go. And I texted my midwife at 3.45 a.m., let her know I was about four and a half minutes apart. And she said, as my hospital was about 30 minutes away, to go ahead and come in. So I got to the hospital at 4.30. My doula was there. She met me there in the in the um, entry room. I had a contraction in the parking lot. <laughs> was on the essentially on the ground in the parking lot, um, trying to even get into the hospital. And at four thirty in the morning, I was at four centimeters. And one one thing to note, I asked, and it was part of my birth preferences. Um, I did not want to know my dilation number, and that's kind of important because. I honestly don't think I would have survived the length of my labor and how long I went, I had to go through labor with back pain had I known the fact that, which I'll share in a little bit, that I was stalling. Um, I, I don't think I would have made it as long as I did. So that so, first time that they check you, though, did they, the, you know, now that you were four centimeters, but did they tell you yeah. then that you were four centimeters? That nurse was not, it was in triage at the hospital. She didn't know. I didn't want to know my number. Um, so she actually said, oh, great, four centimeters. We can admit you. And I, and then my doula was like, she actually doesn't want to know her birth number. Please note, on the, yeah. yeah, please note in her in her chart that she does not want to know her number. And um, and so she was great, at, like at that point forward, making sure that no one told me my dilation. Um, I was in triage, and she was having to hook me up to the tens unit, and already was doing counterpressure at four centimeters. My midwife had me, wanted me to walk the halls um, to keep labor progressing. And I did. Um, I found that I'm going to tell you my centimeters of dilation, but I actually didn't know them until after I had given birth. Um, at 6.30 in the morning, so two hours later, I went from four centimeters to six and a half centimeters. And then at seven-ish in the morning, um, I was using peanut ball, resting on the bed. That was kind of the first time that I was able to kind of lay on my side. And they were trying to kind of do some positions on the bed um, to whatever made me feel better. And I was having the TENS unit and counter pressure at that point. There's One question I want to ask you about the TENS unit. Was yeah. that your own or was it provided by the hospital? Was it your doula's? My doulas. Ah. Uh, yeah, she and that thing was awesome. <laughs> I was so thankful to have it. Um, I had it cranked up. It had a manual, like I could control it myself. Um, it was like a lanyard I could wear around my neck. And I was able to bump up that, the tens unit. I had the back pain between every contraction, but whenever those contractions hit, it had this like high intensity button I could press. <laughs> 
where it would really kick into gear and she'd do the counter pressure. Um, so that thing was, that thing was great. Um, and my, my husband got a little rest with me as much as he could on the bed while I was in the peanut ball. I wasn't resting much, but I was just trying to at least close my eyes and just get through it. Um, 9.30 in the morning, it, that, during that time that I was resting with the peanut bowl, my doula was inflating my birth tub. I wanted a water birth. And and one of the reasons why I also picked that particular midwife mid, midwifery practice was that they were had all the right permissions to do birth, uh, water birth at a particular hospital that I chose. That's the only one in the area that allows for water birth. And that is a unicorn right there. Yes, <laughs> because yes. a lot of things have to come together for that even to be possible. So yes. just the fact that you have that option is amazing. Yeah. And I'm actually very thankful that, you know, I, I'd listened to podcasts about water birth and I've done a lot of research on water birth. And you actually have this one podcast um, with one of your experts that they mentioned having at least 10 pain management techniques, tools available to you during labor. And it could be any time, but you need to have a, a um, try to select a place where you can, you know you can get to 10. And that was one of the reasons I picked this particular hospital, um, because I wanted one of my 10 to be a birth tub, uh, just for pain management. Even if I didn't end up delivering in the tub, I knew how helpful it could be just to have it for position changes and um, natural pain management. So... Mm -hmm. 9.30 in the morning, I got in the tub um, and remember telling my doula, like, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I was just so thankful just to have it. She brought it. Um, she had the birth tub with her. And it was just, it was great. It was probably the only true pain management tool that I really had to help with the back pain between the contractions. Um, and because I was having such a hard time being in any position other than upright, it's padded, cushiony, so I was able to lean up against the wall of the birth tub and just be on my knees in the tub and and lean there. And that was essentially the only position that I could tolerate for really for hours um, with that back pain. And so that was that was huge for me to have the tub. Um, I got checked at 10 a.m. by my my midwife. Um, and because I, I had done pretty good as far as progressing, I guess, that morning, they decided to do another check. And my midwife gave the infamous phrase of, you're doing beautifully. We're going to have a baby by lunchtime. And my husband was told, I, I asked not to know, but he was told, my doula was told that I was in an eight at that point. And I remember getting excited just by the fact that I saw the clock, that it was 10 a.m. I thought, baby, by lunchtime that's amazing. We're going to, I think I just knowing that he was coming and that also this pain was going to end. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> you had a time for that. Uh, infamous last words, I'm guessing. Yes. Yes. Infamous last words. Um, I labored a lot in the tub. My doula at that point, because at this point, I mean, I'm really in transition. Um, my doula was having me get out of the tub, in and out of the tub more to, she, I was on the toilet um, doing some squatting. She was having me kind of hold um, onto my husband and rock that way. Because again, I, I really wanted to be upright. I did not want to be down. Um, so she was, it, it, unfortunately, every time I was out of the water, 
the back pain was exponentially worse than it was in the water. And, but I, she wanted me to do different positions. So even in the water, I was trying to do different positions um, and trying to even just float in the water, <laughs> like whatever I could do. Um, and we ended up getting back on the bed. I, I had another check um, somewhere in there. And at this point, really no position was helping. Uh, the back pain was like nothing I could ever describe, honestly. It, it, I remember it just essentially yelling, my back, my back, my back. Couldn't have cared less about the contraptions. It was just my back that hurt. It was the only thing I cared about because there was no relief ever. <laughs> there was not a moment of relief. And they knew I was having a really, really difficult labor at this point. Um, actually, a second midwife that I had been seeing in the practice heard I was having a difficult labor from my other the midwife on call. So the second midwife actually came in and checked on me as well um, and recommended she, which I had actually knew about from the podcast, from this podcast, she recommended that maybe we try. She knew I didn't want an epidural. She knew I wanted a natural labor. She said, do you want to try saline pebbles? And I knew that they would be very painful to do them. Mm -hmm. But I said, nothing could be worse than the back pain that I'm in. And I knew that it was really, the saline pebbles are only really used for back labor. And they only really numb the back pain. Yeah, um, and so it's it's four, four, four little shots, four injections on your like on your butt, basically on the yeah. sides of the crack, off to the little more to the glutes, um, and it's just it's sterile water injected into your skin. It doesn't go deep, deep so it creates a little bump, and those are the papules, mm -hmm. and it works on a gate theory of pain where it just basically short change shorts your all your signaling going like this is just way too many intensity too but like the back the yep. that's too much i'm crashing and then all the signaling is yep. supposed to go away the back labor is supposed to go away for one to two hours correct was and that your that experience was, yeah yes that was my experience <laughs> um and i knew that i knew that that would be the case what i didn't anticipate is just how intense the pain had to be in order to short circuit your pain signals to make the back pain go away. Mm -hmm. I, my doula said she thought I was going to come off the bed. And my husband says, I never want to hear you scream like that again in ever in our lives. Um, it was one of the most excruciating things. The, no, the most excruciating few seconds of of my life <laughs> so here's my question for you though was it worth it no okay yes there you go no. <laughs> yes and no so no in the sense that they offered it to me again later in my labor um and I, I it was so excruciating I couldn't do it again so no in that I will probably never do it ever again <laughs> no matter what but yes it was a good decision in that now I actually, it, I did get relief for about an hour and 15 minutes. And I got into the tub and um, a contraction hit. Because again, I'm, I'm still at this point, by the way, I'm still in an eight. 
and I've been in at eight since 10 in the morning. This is around two ish. Um, and a contraction hit. And I remember thinking, Oh, thank you, Lord. This is what a contraction feels like that. That's all I felt was just the pain of a contraction. Mm. And I was able to go to back to what I planned to do in my labor, which was the deep moaning, the, the rocking, go deep. I was able to go deep for that hour and really focus on my breathing and the contractions and just go into my contractions versus fighting them. And because I was fighting that back pain so much, whereas contraction pain, I now know the difference that it felt productive. It felt that way to me. Like I knew contractions are productive. Back pain is not. <laughs> so there's a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so the problem was that it worked for about an hour and 15 minutes. And about at 3.15, 3.30, the back pain came back and I felt like it came back with a vengeance. Maybe it was just the fact that I didn't have it for an hour or so that like I had that relief that I, maybe I forgot just how bad it was, but they came back and I thought I was going, I I really thought, yep, I, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the tub for that hour, I, I thought to myself, I'm good. I can do this. I can have this baby. I, I'm, I could have this water birth like I wanted. I don't need any interventions anymore. I'm good. I'm golden. And they came back and they checked me and they didn't tell me, nobody told me I hadn't progressed, but I was still in an eight. And I, they had figured out essentially at that point that my baby, they didn't tell me this, um, but my midwives knew that my baby was essentially a little bit transverse, not fully breached, but was transverse somehow in my pelvis. And that was what was causing this severe back labor. And they thought that this also was a reason why I was still stalled at an eight, that the baby just wasn't rotating where it needed to be in order to help me to fully go where I needed to go. And they were hoping that hour in the tub where I had some relief from the back pain would relax me enough to let me dilate fully to get this baby out. And it did not work. Um, I did agree around sometime around then to um, my, my, my water bag was bulging and my midwife asked if I was okay with, with um, breaking my water to see if maybe we could move things forward faster. Cause I was in really a, a hard, having a really hard time at this point. Um, and I agreed. And uh, unfortunately that didn't work. <laughs> uh, it didn't help to progress anything like we thought it would. About 3.30, I, because I was really struggling so badly, um, they said, do you want to try the nitrous oxide? And I agreed to the nitrous, um, it, it helped not really didn't didn't really take away the pain it helped me slightly care a little less to where I was actually able to lay on my side for a while um which was huge because again I've been upright for a couple hours on end <laughs> it's about 130 the, the over 12 hours <laughs> um 
So that was helpful in that regard, I guess. And that's maybe. a little bit of what people say in general and what the research shows that, you know, the level of pain is about the same, it's just people yeah. don't care. So, yeah. Yeah. And they were hoping that maybe that would also help me to relax a little bit for me to fully dilate. Um, and they, they checked me and it, it didn't work. Um, and I was still at an eight, still no progress. Thank the Lord, truly, that they didn't tell me that I was not progressing. Because <laughs> I think I would have just melted. And you, melted. Had, you had no idea you were at an eight. You, no. like, the only thing you heard was when you first get in that you were at a four. So yep. in your mind, you weren't having this idea that you were not progressing and, like, quote, unquote, stuck for hours at eight. Right. I had no idea. I just knew I was in a lot of back pain. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, all yeah. that I knew. Um, and I, all I cared about was doing whatever it took to ease the back pain. Um, and that honestly, that's all I could think about, which is really, I think probably the most difficult part for me is now looking backward, I wasn't able to go deep the way I needed to because all I could focus on was the back pain and trying to do whatever it took to get rid of the back pain, ease the back pain. And it wasn't working. And that's, it's all my brain could focus on was that pain. Um, and I, that does, that's not helpful for labor. It's not helpful for progressing. Um, it was at 4.15 that my lab, it was, the back pain was so bad that I agreed to, at this point to a low dosage of um, an intravenous pain med of Stadol. And I, I didn't want that uh, at all. Uh, again, I want a natural birth. Um, I really did not want the Stadol, but I was, I was getting desperate at that point um, for the back pain to subside. And um, they said we could try state all or we could do the sterile saline pap pools again and i couldn't do the pap pools so <laughs> my experience with the papules is that that it, nobody has them twice <laughs> no yeah and that's what my midwife said <laughs> she's like i've never had a patient ever do them twice <laughs> they uh, work so. but it's just oh uh, yeah 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 so i did agree to the state all and that was the only bad decision of my labor honestly um, for me, the reaction that I had, which only apparently lasted like 30 minutes, but for me, it felt like an eternity is that the pain didn't subside at all. I felt every bit of the same amount of intensity of back pain and every contraction. The difference was I felt trapped in my own body, like a dream state, you know, like in dreams where you try to scream and nothing comes out. You can't do it. Mm -hmm. That's what I felt like on the state all. And um, I couldn't communicate that enough, that it wasn't helping. I, I just felt very trapped in my own body, um, which was a terrifying feeling. So apparently it only lasted like 30 minutes, but in my head, it was awful. Um, it wore off. My midwife later told me a discharge that she's like, yeah, we gave you such a low dosage of Stadol because we knew you didn't want payment. <laughs> um, that it was like, cutting off your leg and giving you two Tylenol. She's like, it, oh, it's no. just not going to do it yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, so we, I agreed at five o'clock. I was, I was so desperate at that point that I, I kind of had my, um, 
my oh what is it like a, a, a phrase that I said like if I if I really truly was crying uncle and and needed to have an epidural which was like the last thing I wanted that I would say I really want the big needle as I have a, a really big fear of injections of needles um, and my so my husband I told my husband I said I want the big needle. I need the epidural and and he the my midwife and my doula actually said let's give them a minute to chat um and they kind of stepped out and let my husband and i talk and i and he got in my face because at this point like i could only really communicate if somebody was really close to me making eye contact with me um and he said are you certain you you said you did not want this epidural and i said i know but just that instinctive um mom mode kicked in and I said I know I didn't want it but I think he needs it I didn't know why but I just felt like he needed it and and I'm crying at this point because it's like I I it's not what I wanted this is not the this beautiful flowing birth that I planned <laughs> but I I knew I needed something and they agreed the problem was that with because we had the birth tub um, the anesthesiologist was ready to go at 5.15 to give me the epidural, but I had to wait from agreeing to it at 5 o'clock. I had to wait 45 minutes because they had to dissemble my birth tub for oh. insurance purposes oh. at this hospital before the I could get the epidural. And at that point, so I, and I couldn't have the nitrous anymore because I'd already been on the statal. So I was just doing position changes on the bed. Um, and they did the epidural at 5.45. I was able to relax and got like a 45-minute, essentially a nap. And I remember texting. The reason why, the biggest reason why I got the epidural, um, I left that out, was my midwife had said um, some point at 4.45, 5 o'clock, she said, there's one last thing we can try, and that would be an epidural. And there was something about it that just that instinctive aspect, I, I, I don't know, of that she said there was one last thing we can try. I somehow knew that we were getting close to me maybe having to have a C-section. And I knew beyond anything, I didn't want a C-section. Um, if I could do anything to prevent a C-section, I wanted to prevent it. I wanted to have a vaginal birth. And... So, and I, I feel like, I don't know if it was just kind of God helping to guide me in that regard of needing, we needed to go forward with the, with the epidural, but 45 minutes after getting that epidural, I was checked at 6.30 PM. I had fully dilated to 10 centimeters. My baby had rotated and was in the proper position. We were at what, plus two. I was ready to go. And and again, 45 minutes. And my, my midwife told me later that, you know, sometimes those soft tissues, it's more, and they actually, I think it's, um, you had an interview or podcast with an expert that had talked about how important not the soft tissues are in addition to the pelvic bones. It's not just about that. Soft tissues matter. Um, that my soft tissues needed to relax in order for him to get to rotate the way he needed to rotate. Um, the, oh, the, uh, spinning babies. You had her on. Um, and she had talked about the, the soft tissues. Yeah, and I can think of, of uh, she talked about it also, Molly Deutschbein and the structural body changes. 
um, that relates as well. And then there was the one about um, if can too much exercise affect labor? And it's right. about also that if those soft tissues are too tight, then baby can't, you know, can't it'll it'll be a harder time. And there's a feedback between the head moving and molding and those soft tissues. So it, it is an intricate dance. Um, yes. So that makes total sense to me. Yeah. And so all it took was 45 minutes of my, my soft tissues relaxing and me relaxing and resting. And I was ready to go. And, and not my fighting the contractions and, and not, not fighting the back pain, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. And um, so my, my doula, uh, my husband actually at that point, of course, he's been uh, supporting me and, and Christian throughout my entire labor that's been going on for a very long time at this point he went outside to get some air, <laughs> just some fresh air. Um, so uh, Christian, my doula, texted him and, or called him and said, you should probably get back in here. I think she's going to be getting ready to push. And that was um, around 645. And um, my, my midwife had said, you know, we're, we're not in a hurry. You just, when you are ready to push, you let us know. And, um, and I think about how we, with that episode with Wabio, about the quietude and about how sometimes you just need some time just to, to kind of breathe. I think I needed that. And it didn't take long. Honestly, it was like 15 minutes that I just needed to, I knew I was ready to go physically, but I wasn't really ready. I needed a minute. Um, I just rested, I closed my eyes. My husband came in and, and then I felt then finally, about seven o'clock, I said, I want to, I feel like I want to push. And they said, okay, let's do it. And you know what? It wasn't in the position I thought I needed to, I wanted to be in. Um, I was actually on my back, which I never thought that I would ever be on my back. Um, I think I had this thought in my head that somehow back labor or being on your back pushing was like this evil thing. <laughs> Why would anybody do that? Um but that was where my body kind of wanted to be. I, I didn't feel like moving to my side. I felt comfortable and I, that's where I wanted to push. And so my doula held one, one of my legs and my awesome nurse held my other. And my midwife was, was there and I started pushing at 7 p.m. And I kept pushing. And at 8.40 p.m. I saw out of the blinds vaguely that there was some pink coming through and I said can we open those blinds there I think there's a sunset <laughs> can I look at the sunset while I'm pushing because <laughs> it had been an hour over an hour and a half of pushing and still no really not making a lot of progress and we opened the blinds and I saw that gorgeous sunset and I felt kind of refreshed they gave me um, I brought some snacks and I, I had a honey stick um just to kind of give me some energy and I kept pushing um and at one point in that pushing phase, my midwife said, okay, Emery, I see his head is right here. He hasn't been making progress with these pushes. You are pushing beautifully, exactly how I want you to. So the issue is that he's stuck on your hymenal ring. And I went, what? <laughs> Did you say hymen? <laughs> I've been married a long time. I don't think that that's possible. And she said, yeah, it is. It's, he's stuck on your hymen. And if I clip your hymen, 
I think I can save your perineum because if what's probably going to happen is he, you will push him. He will bust through the hymenal ring. And I think he's going to, you're going to tear with such force of the, of him coming through the hymen very quickly. I think you're going to tear. So I think I can save your perineum if you let me um, just do a minor snip of your hymen. And I said, whatever, just do it. <laughs> if you can save my, if you can try to save me from tearing, let's try it. And I actually, after having my son um, saw there, there's actually a, a, a wonderful explanation of birth with an intact hymenal ring um, on spinning babies that was so helpful for me to clarify what happened during my labor. And it's exactly what my midwife did. Um, and by clipping it, she, she did save my, my, my perineum. I didn't tear at all. I actually pushed until 10.50 PM. So seven o'clock until 10.50, I was pushing. Um, but he finally came out after she clipped that hymenal ring and, um, he, I didn't tear at all, had some, some, just some issues a little bit with, um, like hemorrhoids afterwards just from pushing for so long, but it wasn't severe and he was perfect, <laughs> absolutely perfect baby. Um, put him on my chest immediately, starting like making his little kind of cry sounds, minor cry sounds immediately. Um, he was just this perfect little guy and... I actually got to cut his cord, which is really cool. Uh, she asked my husband if he wanted to cut the cord and my husband said, no, that's okay, which I was fine with. But I didn't anticipate her looking to me and saying, do you want to? I said, yeah, of course I do. So I cut the umbilical cord after it had stopped pulsing. It was just, a, a, oh, I, it was in that moment of having him there on my chest that despite the interventions, despite kind of my birth plan going out the window, it was this realization of, I did this. I, I pushed you out. <laughs> You're here. You're healthy. I grew you. How my body did this. And you're here. And just that overwhelming feeling of, it was so healing for me so healing for me that my body could do it so yeah <laughs> yeah oh my god and you sure did it right yeah. oh my gosh um and i i always want to say like reassure and reinforce the fact that you may have plans but then birth does its own thing yeah and circumstances are huge like there's no way for you back when wherever you said i want a you know non-medicated birth that you were thinking i want a non-medicated birth even with excruciating non-stopping back pain right, right. like those yeah. two things weren't a consideration so no. there's no right or wrong it's right. not there's no metals there's it's just however it needs to happen for you yeah. and i feel that intuition that you kept holding in and it was almost a <laughs> birth taking you to your edge and taking you and going like okay here's what we're gonna do now Anne Marie, <laughs> and marie yeah. let's push you a little bit more <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. And I, and you know, it was actually on discharge. I was talking to the discharge midwife and she said, honestly, Anne-Marie, had you not gotten that epidural, she said, you, you would have ended up in an OR. She said, you were heading there. I, I've done this long enough to know you were at an eight for since, since 10 in the morning. And you got the epidural at 5.45. You were at an eight that long. She's like, you weren't making any progress. And he was transverse. And he, he needed that from you. And you allowed your body, you gave your body what it needed for your son to come into the world in the way you wanted him to. Mm. Um, and that's and, a great example of an epidural yeah. being a tool. Yes, exactly, exactly. And it's it's one tool, a tool I didn't want to use, but it was ended up what I what I needed it to be. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm so thankful. It, I really feel like I took some time to process. Obviously, uh, my doula came afterwards, um, but within a week to check you know, check in and come to the house and um, debrief right on my labor and that was really good for me because I was able to get some details of what, what happened <laughs> what happened during this labor. Um, and also debrief with my midwife on discharge um, where I was able to find out the, just the details of where I was stuck at, at eight centimeters and what was going on with my baby. I didn't know he was transverse. I just knew it was taking a long time. I didn't know why. And that I was in a lot of back pain. Um, and that was it. So just knowing that, you know what, my body, I might not have been able to create, quote unquote, my son on my own. Um, I might not have been able to carry my first child, um, to birth one day. I'll meet my first child again in heaven. I believe that. Um, but my body wasn't broken. It's not broken. I, I was able to, to grow this beautiful boy and deliver him vaginally i survived a excruciating labor uh, my midwife said this was an atypical labor that you will never go through this type of labor ever again <laughs> uh, very atypical labor i pushed him for almost four hours i was in 28 hours of labor and i did it with my body and there's something just so healing about that uh, that I, I don't feel that sense of brokenness anymore, which is huge. Mm, so huge. And I am thrilled that you've gotten to that point of processing everything and, and you know, owning your story. Yeah. Knowing that it, because it's nobody else's, it's yours. Yeah, and absolutely. It, a little bit of embracing that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's you know, I, I always say that God knew exactly how my son would come into the world. He chose not to share that with me in advance. And I'm very thankful that he did. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't think I could have gone through it. Uh, but it was what he needed. A question I have for you. When you afterwards, when you found out that you, because you had no idea that you'd been at eight centimeters since, you know, the morning until 530 in the afternoon. When you found that out, what what did you think? I hope my jaw dropped. I was like, you you have, but people are supposed to be in transition at that point. I thought that was only supposed to last like an hour. 
and that's it and my doula was like yeah you're a rock star <laughs> she's like you and you know what i felt like a rock star whenever i found out just how long i was at eight centimeters and in that much pain that i was able to hold out that long before really having to go to um more drastic measures um I, I felt it was very empowering. I it really was the best way I could say it. It was my jaw dropped in that I couldn't believe that I could stay there for that long, but also the fact that I was able to hold out that long. I, I really felt it was just an empowering experience. The birthing people are amazing. I <laughs> say it like I see it, I hear it, I all the time. It is a magnificent honor to watch and listen to the stories. So thank you. Thank you so very much for sharing all of this with us thank you for letting me share it from start to finish <laughs> mighty ones find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com where you can also learn more about me the show send me messages and more this episode was produced by me and made possible by you the title song for this podcast is Vivace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Oh, and here's what Anne-Marie didn't have for breakfast. <laughs> you know, I actually forgot to eat breakfast today. <laughs> so I, I should eat something after this call. <laughs> I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. This episode is copyright 2019 by Adriana Lozada. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.